You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Good morning to the whole room. Good morning. Ah, uh, there we are. There we go. Ah, uh, man, it is, uh, it's indeed a pleasure again to be up this morning just to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to join in on this series about gospel culture and uh, gospel uh, doctrine, just elated that God has given me this opportunity, man, to speak to you this morning. So I'm going to be uh, uh, joining in on uh, on this uh, gospel doctrine, and today we will be covering the, uh, the doctrine of regeneration. And so uh, let me just give you just, uh, let me just set you up some. Uh, over the past uh, past few weeks, we've we've talked about the idea of being justified, and that should actually produce a grace culture that because God alone, by faith alone, uh, declares us righteous, that we should have, that, that there should be present a gracious culture. And then we learned on last a week that, that, that since God has adopted us into his family, this doctrine, this big idea of adoption, that we should also be concerned about adopting, uh, 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 uh. just being a church really concerned about orphan care and, uh, and, and just finding ways, different ways on how we can support and or do that in of ourselves. And so, again, man, just being uh, uh, glad to see what God, glad to see that, man, not only, not only are we at a church that's really heavy on doctrine, but also we're really praying really hard that God would produce behavior. Uh, 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 lifestyles that match what we believe, that our orthodoxy, that our right belief would would produce orthopraxy, our our right behaviors. And so, man, uh, just glad to be a part of a church that that, that actually desires that world. Because if we are a church that really just may thrive on gospel doctrine and not gospel culture, man, we'll be a bunch of a bunch of hypocrites, knowing a whole lot and doing very little. But then if you're on the, the other side where you are focusing on gospel culture and not gospel doctrine, man, we become a, a very fragile, uh, uh, some would say, for fragility, that we will lack the substance needed, man, to really, man, to strengthen uh, the core of our beliefs. But if we practice both well, both Gospel doctrine and gospel culture, that man, that man, that 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 would equate to something uh, powerful. That man, it would be a really good and strong display of of really this dunamis, this this power of God being seen in the gospel. One one noted scholar said this: that one cannot explain the explosive dynamite the dunamis of the early church apart from the fact that they practice both things together. Orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of community in the midst of, of, of the visible church, a community which the world could see. And so what the church then learned in homes or learned in settings they was, man, that, that they lived them outside of the walls where actually the world was, 
able to see, man, man that, that, that we're seeing what y'all believe. And that was just a great display uh, just for the world to see. Then he says, by the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and the reality of its community. Our churches have so often been only preaching points with very little emphasis on community or, or those gathered together uh, uh, to bring glory to God for but exhibition of the love of God and practice is beautiful and must be there. It's good to know that as Christians, man, that in order for this culture to be what it should be, that, man, that I prayers that the gospel would first grab our hearts and then it would change into our homes and then hopefully change into our communities and then into our church. That, man, that, that this gospel, that, that, this, that these marvelous doctrines of grace would cause change in such a way where it would begin to blow up people's ideologies about the church. That, man, that, 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 that if we both learned doctrine and practiced what we learned, man, man that it would, it would, it would, do not, it would blow up how the world has seen the church in past times. I believe that man, that, that, that man, uh, that, that for most times, they say, y'all have been a bunch of hypocrites knowing a lot, but doing little. But isn't it good to know that we are the church that, that, that desires to do both well? Uh, to be about doctrine, yes, yes, we still love God with all of our mind, but also there is this idea of loving God with all of our heart also. I mean, I mean it, it, it actually stirring in us that this doctrine, stirring in us this, this, this desire, stirring in us these affections, man, to do what we learn. And, man, I'm just glad to be a part of a church that, that, that has that idea in mind, which leads us to our text today. I think Paul would say the very same thing. When you look at the book of Ephesians, Ephesians has six uh, chapters, and it's, it's divided by orthodoxy and orthopraxy. That when you look at the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out theologically what they are to believe, right doctrine. Now, here's my word. Here's my word. Tractology. That's my word. That's, uh, uh, that's, that, that is the practicing out of what you've learned theologically. So, man, when our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy uh, 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 come together, what a powerful display of God in his gospel. And so, and so today, again, I'm going to uh, pray, uh, pray that I would unfold for you this idea of regeneration and what that should produce in saints individually and as a church as, as a whole. And so I'm going to look at uh, 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 first uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to uh, see our situation. That when you look at these first three verses, we're going to see what was our situation. So if you are saved now, Paul, he's simply trying to remind the church at Ephesus, this is what you were before. Now, if you're here and you are not saved, man, here's what, here's what you can be if you would, man, submit yourself to the, uh, uh, hear the calling of God through the gospel and that you would allow the Spirit of God to do a, uh, a great work, which we're going to talk about 
this morning. Uh, Ephesians 1, I mean 2, chapter uh, 2, verse 1 reads this. And you, just go ahead and put your name there. Who, who, whatever your name was and now that you said, and you, your name. And you, Valentine, were dead in your trespasses and your trespasses and sins. So the first thing that we see that, man, that, that, that when it came to the things of God prior to salvation, that we were dead to the things of God. Nothing about God turned us on. That we actually ran away from God, not wanting to delight in God at all. Nothing, there was nothing spiritually attractive about us wanting to live holy, wanting to live right. There was nothing in us that wanted that, that wanted this God of this of this creation. Our hearts were hard towards him. We were his enemies. We we were hostile. God and I was at enmity. Here, this was your state prior to salvation. That you can be in, in church and still not desire the one that church was supposed to be about. So you could be in a place where God was being preached, but because you were dead in your sins, useless, worthless, wanting nothing to do with God, this was your State, dead, why? Because of your disobedience. Look at verse 2. In which you were, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the earth, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That before Christ, that, that pre-Christ, we were being conformed to the world without a fight. Think about this just for a moment. Well, maybe you cannot, but I can. When I was not saved, I enjoyed sinning. It was the thing to do. I had fun doing it. There was nothing in me that wanted to say, God, this is wrong. No, God, this is right. My flesh was pleased all the time. I was conforming to the values and ways of the world without one issue. I wanted to sin. I enjoyed, I I had fun sinning. I had fun disobeying God. When God would say not to, I did it. And when God would say to do, I did not. I did everything the opposite of God because I wanted nothing of God and or from God. I, God was not on my mind. I was slave to uh, this world, but then also I was influenced heavily by Satan. Satan was my master. He and I were but we were friends. I mean, I, anything that this prince of the power of the earth wanted me to do, I did it because I enjoyed what he was calling me to. This was my situation. But also, this flesh, there was no war in my flesh. For what? My old nature, and I was, man, hey, 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 will you please lead me into the things that will satisfy me? And my flesh was faithful to do that. I wanted to do it. I got excited about 
being disobedient to God. Why? I was depraved. I see this in verse 3. I was, I was, man, I was, I was carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Listen to me. Romans 8, verse 8 sums this up. When it comes to the idea of being depraved or total depravity, there was nothing in me that wanted to please God. Sin had, had affected and affected my, the very core of my being. I was unable to please God in any sense. I wanted nothing to do with him, so I was, I was unable to do anything that would bring or would have brought pleasure to God. But not only was I dead in my sins, not only was I disobedient to God, not only was I actually, you know, you know, the depraved or just, uh, but I was also, the Bible says, I was doomed. Look, look what it says here in, uh, 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 in, in verse 3. Uh, it says, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I was doomed to hell and loving every bit of it. I didn't know. I, I was dead. So I, was, I was doing what was by nature, what, what, my, what me being dead to sin would want to do. I was, I, was, I was dead to God, so my heart was hard towards him, hard towards the, uh, his word, hard towards anybody trying to show me him. I was also disobedient. I was depraved. And so naturally, I was, uh, I was a child of wrath. Here it is, that, 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 that at any moment, if God had not saved me, I was going to be under the wrath of God forever. And also, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, those who do not trust in Christ now are presently under the wrath of God. They are experiencing the wrath of God as we speak. That's why God gave them over in Romans chapter 1 to the lust of the flesh. They were experiencing, they, people who now, who, 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 who were not turned to God, they were experiencing uh, a God's wrath temporally. But then, when he comes back, they're going to experience God's wrath forever. And before we all came to Christ, this was our state. Dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed. But I love how Paul gives us now God's solution. One guy has correctly said, the heart of the gospel pumps bright red in the first two words of Ephesians 2.4. But God. <laughs> but everything that was before, verses 1-3, to but God, he changed all of that. That God would decide to work through my deadness, to work through my disobedience, to work through the fact that I was depraved and doomed. That I'm going to now deliver you from all of that. Why? Because of my great love and my abundant mercy towards you. But God, I was in a cliff somewhere. We, we, whenever we heard that, but God, you would see people shouting around because we understood and we understand the state we were in before God saved us. But God, in my mess, performed the miracle. 
But, but in my lusting, in, in, in my lostness, he, he, he displayed great love for me. Maybe you're asking, man, what is this great love? Romans 5, 8, he says this. But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. That while I was hostile, throwing God the deuces, wanting nothing to do with God, but God being rich in mercy, wanted to, uh, wanted to express his great love for me, he saved me. But how? Here is the doctrine. How, how did God, how, if, 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 preach, if you are correct, if I was dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed, how did God do it? I'm so glad to ask. I know, that, I know you want, I know I am so glad to ask that question. There. Let me answer you. Here's the idea of regeneration. This doctrine of regeneration, let me give you a, 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 a definition of this, and then we're going to flesh this out, hoping that this doctrine will then produce a culture that Stonegate would, 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 would desire and won't. It is a sovereign act of God. Yeah, yeah let, me, let me read this. Whereby God, the Holy Spirit, causes the new birth and gives one faith to believe in Jesus. So this idea of regeneration, Here's the thing that should produce the culture of Stonegate. That regeneration had nothing to do with you. It was a pre-faith move. That after God had elected you and you were called by the gospel, God by himself quickened you, made you alive, caused new birth in you without you even having faith. Yet, think about that. How, how, what? So you're saying, Valentine, that God made me alive, that God caused a new birth in me without me having faith yet. My answer is yes. Just as you had nothing to do with you coming in this world, you have nothing to do with yourself going into the kingdom. I would love to have been around and told my mom and dad how to do this. Hey, if y'all do it here and do it, hey, I make this come out better. But I, I had no say-so in that. And here I am. The mess that I am, here I am. But I had no say-so. Just like when it comes to the kingdom of God, you have no say-so at all. It's, it's, it's a sovereign free will act of God produced by the Holy Spirit that, would, that then quickens you, here it is, to connect you or to bring you into union with Christ by faith and repentance. Here it is. So God, he quickens you, he makes you alive, causes a new birth in you, then comes the idea of conversion. 
Now he gives you the ability now to turn from your sin and to turn towards Jesus Christ for salvation. So, so, so regeneration is God alone, like election is God alone. Conversion is God and man. When I am being sanctified, that's God. That's me responding to God's goodness. When I end conversion, that's me responding because God has first worked on my behalf, just like in glorification. That's God alone. Regeneration is pre-faith. It's that you, that, that God against your deadness, that God against your disobedience, that God against you being, uh, you being depraved, against you being doomed, God sends his son to quicken you. Even to the elect, you are dead in your sins before you're quickened by the Spirit. So yes, God, he did choose you, but now he has to work in you for you now to choose him. So God, in his election, he, he chooses you, but then he sends you his spirit. He regenerates you without your say-so to then give you the ability to convert, turn from sin, turn to him to, to justify you. It all happens, some would say, all at the same time in that order so fast you don't know what hit you. And that moment, in that moment, you are regenerated, you are converted, justified, and adopted at the same time. Is that not good news? And I had no say-so in the first part of this. Here's where we do have to respond. But it's God moving us to respond to him. He strips us of any ability to boast. When it comes to salvation, you have nothing to boast about. Because it was done pre-faith, you can't even boast in your faith. Because that faith was, it happened pre-faith. Had nothing to, nothing to do with faith. It was all God's work of regenerating you, God alone, actively working on you passively, that you might turn, have faith, and be converted. That's good news. That should strip you of any hint, any audacity to boast in your salvation. Now, this should produce something. This should produce something in every saint, every child of God. It should produce something. And you're asking me what? All right, good, good, good. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Oh, hey, I want to tell you this. I, really, I do. Really. I, I don't want to hide it from you. I want to tell you this. What this actually does is found, let's look at what it says in uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And it says this. For the grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But we are his poetry. 
Did you know that God saved you to invite you into a story, into a poem about your life? He is producing something and saving you that you still, that, that, that should still blow our minds. When we think about the fact that God regenerated me, converted me, and justified me, and adopted me, all because of his doing, all of this should produce humility. It is an oxymoron. For there to be such thing as a prideful Christian. It is an oxymoron for somebody who is a child of God to walk around with arrogance. And if that is to happen, that's because they're focused on doctrine and not behavior. See, if you fully understand the doctrine or the, the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of soteriology, if you fully understand this, this should humble you. In salvation, God, he strips you of any hint of boasting. But then he invites you into a, into a story, but, 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 but now I am his workmanship. I am his poetry. That God beforehand prepares me that I may walk in good works. Walk in good works found in Christ Jesus. God saved you to do something. He saved you to produce something. But, but you wouldn't say it, but you were not saved by doing something. But you were saved too. Do something. What this doctrine should produce is the first attribute found in the Beatitudes. Happy, blessed are those who are what? Poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. What this doctrine does is it leaves you to be found needy, spiritually bankrupt, having nothing to offer. God, listen to what my friend, my homie, Matthew Henry said, says, to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge honestly and with understanding our spiritual poverty. Indeed, our spiritual bankruptcy before God. We are sinners and all the strength of our lives deserve nothing but God's judgment. We have nothing to offer, nothing to plead, nothing with which to buy his favor. But upon profession of our faith, coupled with repentance, he allows by his grace in blood and the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the sins of the world to cover our sins, justifying us and providing us for uh, access into his kingdom. I believe that humility should be the heartbeat of Christ-likeness. It, it should be the thing that gives the attitude, the heart behind our salvation. Because when you, when you even look at Christ, who's our Savior, Aaron, we will, lastly, there was not a hint of humility or, or, or arrogance or 
spiritual pride found in him. Though he was God, we'll read about that in a minute. So what should this idea of humility produce? What is the culture that God wants of us? For, for the overarching theme is for us, first of all, to be humble. So we should pray. I, th- I think that, that, that just that last line in this quote says, uh, providing us with access into his presence. But if we're going to be uh, uh, considered and, and, and seen as a, a church of humility, we must, we should be committed to the idea of praying. Again, I believe that that, 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 that prayer is one of the greatest acts of dependence and humility. You can tell how humble a person is, not by how much he knows, but who he knows. And there are people who know doctrine very well. There are some Pharisees, not here, but somewhere else. That, that, that got this doctrine down, but, does, but, 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 cannot, but they're lacking a personal relationship with the one they are learning about. Prayer helps that. It's, it's simply coming to God saying this, I need you. I need you. I need you. I really do need you. I don't need you to do something. I really just need you right there, God. When was the last time you crawled into your father's arms in the form of knees or whatever, or whatever posture you do and say, Father, I just want you to know that I need you. When was the last time the father heard from his son or daughter I need you. That I am realizing and have realized that I can do nothing apart from you. How often is God hearing that from you? I came here a, a couple of years back and man, I was just really excited about being at a church that took prayer really serious, that, that, that Rodney would stand here and invite the entire church to come to prayer night every fifth Wednesday. And out of 600 and 800 some people, about 100 showed up. Now, I understand if scheduling caused you not to show up, but we can't use football or a game or a sport or your activity as a means as an excuse, I mean, I mean, I mean, man, to, to, to come to a church that really took praying seriously, I was very elated about that, man. But what I was really hurt by was that, man, not a lot of us were here to seek God together, to pray for each other together, to go to God together, saying, Father, we need you. We need you as a body. We need you individually, to have other people pray for you also on that night was truly a blessing, man. I mean, here it is that, that, that God says, hey, let's take this thing serious. Let's all pray together. If we miss this, I believe we miss it. 
But here it is. How can we expect to get this thing corporately if I don't have it down individually, privately? So the question is, how is your own private prayer life? Does, do you as an individual show that God, listen to me, if, 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 if praying is an indicator of how much I need you, I'm off the chain. I wish that could be my story. But can I be honest and frank with you? My prayer life sucks. Horrible. But yeah, I want to come up here and preach. I want to disciple somebody, mentor, coach somebody. I don't spend time with God like I should. My conviction. My conviction. I'm praying that God would really, that I would use the grace extended to me every single morning. Son, take my grace and my ability and pursue me in prayer. Okay, not only should we be a a church about prayer, we should be cultivating thankfulness. We should be cultivating the idea of being thankful. Just be around some Christians for five or ten minutes and rather than thanking God for everything, they, they complain to God about everything. Like, God, I got all this going on. I got all this going on. And here's the, here's, the, here's the truth. You were once dead, disobedient, depraved, dooming. God saved you. That by itself should be enough to say, God, thank you no matter what goes on in my life. I got you. I'm good, God. I'm good. I got you. I praise God. I'm thankful for you being God, a good God, a, a good father. Man, I was, I'm listening to y'all to a song by, by House Fires. It's called Good, Good Father. That's who you are. And, man, and when I'm listening to the song, and when I'm hearing this song, say, you are a good, good father. That's who you are. Man, I, I just break out in thankfulness. But God, if you are nothing else, you are my father, my daddy, my Abba, my papa. I got you as a daddy. Thank you. Thank you. When was the last time you thanked God, the, the creator of all, for being your father? We need to cultivate more thankfulness. But I believe Christians outside of Stonegate think they are entitled to everything they get. Not y'all. I mean, we got it down here, y'all. We, we, we good here. I mean, I mean, I mean we're all saying God thank you. I mean, I don't hear anybody here complaining about what they don't have or who God is not. I don't that here, I hear somewhere else. I'm lying now, y'all. How often are you telling God thanks? The Bible is not God's great opinion. It's God's commandment. We ought to rejoice always, being thankful in everything the Bible says. That's a command, not God's opinion. I'm praying that, man, that when we understand what God has done salvifically in our lives, it will produce humility in the form of being thankful, being prayerful, but also being amazed 
at the grace of God. Be amazed at God's ability of God's goodness and greatness in my life. When was the last time we were awed by his grace displayed in our lives? I, I used to hate the song Amazing Grace. Like, man, that's an old song, no beats. Can y'all get some, get, some, get some to it? Get, come on, let's, no, no. Listen to the words, Valentine. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now that I see. I see God. I know God. I, I understand God. So now this grace that you've given me, God, simply to know you and not to be lost anymore and to see you for who you are sometimes. God, I thank you for that. Are you amazed often at the grace of God? When you understand what he did, when you understand what he's done for you regarding salvation, that should cause you to be amazed. Acts 2, the reason why that church grew so fast because the Bible says they stood in awe of God. Adoptions, awe, baptisms. Ah, this morning, getting up with the ability to say thank you. Ah, I mean, he's been so good to us. Despite you. Despite me. Last, we should continually uh, look at to the person of Jesus as our example of humility. When all else fails, when I look to Christ, that is, who he is, and also what he has done for us, that should cause us to become humble. Maybe you're saying, well, give me a text to show me that. Well, I'm glad to ask Philippians chapter 5, verse 6 through 11 says this. Having this mind, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, God in the flesh, the incarnate God, he, he was God in the flesh, did not count equality with God as something to grab hold of. He was God. He was God, but he didn't think that to be, be a, a, something to, to hold, hold on while here on earth. You, you're talking about humility. I was uh, at a conference over this week, and, and here's, what, here's what a guy said. He said, man, you know, because I make much of Jesus, people make much of me. And that he was struggling with that. Because isn't our tendency, man, to get the glory, to want the glory, to do what we can, to fight for the glory of God? Here was a man 
known by us all, said, because I make much of him, folk make much of me, and I struggle with that. That wasn't Jesus' problem. Though he was in the form of God, he thought that nothing could be considered as equal with God, a thing to be grasped. But here it is, verse 7. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God the flesh, I heard a guy say, he became hood for us. That God left his kingdom, his glory, and came down on earth, hood form. The earth compared to heaven is straight hood. And yet God came down. In the flesh, he came down for us as a servant, as a man, born in a manger. I mean, think about this. Humility? You're the king. You're God. Can you get better than that? You borrowed a, a, a mule? Get a new horse. Get some new, no, no, no. Humility. The supreme example of it. If we ever get lost in this, look to Jesus, who became a slave, a carpenter. Couldn't you pick a better job? Something? No. No. No home to call his own. No, foxes had homes and holes and all that, but he had nowhere to call home. He was humble. And we said we serve him. I struggle with this. At the core of my being, I'm not humble. I'm not. I want you to think I am. But when I compare myself to Jesus, I fall way, way short. But thank God for Jesus that who walked in humility for me, that I can trust what he did for me, what he's done for me, that whenever I start tripping, I can look to him. But when I finish, almost finished. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You did not deserve to die that way. No, not a time, but you did. And I became your substitute to die a death that you could not die, to live a life that you could not live, that I could be a, that, that you could be a pleasing to God, Valentine. You, I didn't deserve it, but I died because you did. And now, because your death never could satisfy God, my death does, and it allows you now to live in freedom. Do we have room to boast? To be arrogant? At all? Therefore, therefore is therefore a reason, y'all. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. 
Buddha can't touch him. Muhammad, he's dead. But because he didn't confess to his Lord, he got to get up out the dead and say, hey, your God is going to go back to hell. That's too much hell for me. Muhammad didn't get away. He has to come back up and say, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. He is Lord God. Muhammad didn't get away. Jane Smith, John Smith, they didn't get away. They will one day have to come up and say, Jesus, you are Lord God. And there is no name on earth that deserves to be exalted above yours. I love how the Bible says, he that humbles himself now will be exalted. Christians, children, sons, and daughters of the Most High, will we please stop trying to exalt ourselves? James says, clearly, if you would humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due time. You don't have to worry about it. He got you. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.